Jeremy, they say the rule, the first rule of podcasting is to have a, a schedule. We don't have that yet, unfortunately. We're, we're, not, we're not the same time every week because I'm off work today, glasses. I don't know what you're doing. You got the backwards hat. I don't know if you're making a, a comeback into the Pecos League or, or what are you doing? Okay. But, um, <laughs> well, um, you know, I don't know if a comeback to the Pecos League is accurate, but I am thinking about a comeback. Oh, really? How's that? Really? Yeah, you know, they say the, the comeback is, is better than the setback. Is that how it goes? Or the, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know that I've had any, any setbacks, so I guess that's tough to say. I feel pretty good about my life. I like me at this moment in time, but um, um, yeah, there's some, there's some things that are, well, you know me, I always got something cooking. Yeah, you know, like, it, you know it's funny because we have a plan for the podcast and invariably something happens within the last 24 hours or 48 hours and then we kind of have to change that up. And one thing that I thought was very interesting was Kyle Bodie from Driveline tweeting out some philosophies, I guess that would, his philosophy maybe. And then he said, by the way, the reason for these tweets isn't subtweeting, but it is plenty self-serving. I've been fairly outspoken in interviews that I want to work in 2023 as the AGM, assistant GM, GM, special assistant level, and won't consider anything below that. So I figure I should tweet out my plans. I find that um, a bit strange, a bit strange. I don't know many people in baseball that uh, I guess tap a mic and say, this is what I wanna do and I won't take anything less. Am I off base on this? I mean, I don't know the guy, never met him. I just think it's a bit interesting that um, he would go out and kind of profess that. Um, so no, you're not off base. I mean, I think when we're talking about being off base, we routinely find ourselves circling back to Kyle Bodie um, and, and any, any of the crew that happens to roll with him. I mean, I gotta tell you, I got people on Twitter I've never heard of that work for him that have me blocked. And I only know that because I see sometimes things are tagged you know, by somebody I know or, or what, I, and I then bang, I get the, I look and see who that is. And, oh, this guy works for, and the amount of time I spend on caring about any of that, um, I mean, I don't think there's a measurement for it, right? Because it's like less than zero. I don't care. What I can tell you is the amount of laughter that went on at that tweet, not about his philosophy, because frankly, that's starting to catch up. Right. I mean, people are seeing so many guys get hurt, so much pitching money on the shelf. So many people have trained his way. So many arm surgeries for kids underneath. So much about what that has done from a throwing standpoint and velocity over everything has hurt baseball. It's just the way it is. But that's what you get when you're dealing with people who um, well, what are you dealing with something with people who don't care about the game or invest in the game, don't understand the rhythm of the game, don't understand or, 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 or treat players and their careers as if they're, uh, you know, blackjack hands at the table or trophies to be won instead of treating them as people and understanding the flow of something that's pretty beautiful. And that's this game that's been around for 150 years. Kyle Bodie and his crew don't understand it and furthermore, don't care. Now, I volunteered a while back to take out Jason Ochart for free 
in with the Phillies, and I'm this offer still stands. Okay. And with Kyle Bodie, though, I don't have to do that because the Reds got real tired of this dude. And basically, I mean, it was like, you know, walking up on the stage at some award ceremony and delivering a blow and turn around and walking away. That's what they did to him. So when it comes down to this guy, he has no business tweeting something like that. It shows a lack of feel. It shows an overinflated sense of self. Um, you know, and, and frankly, the best thing he said, the most accurate thing he said, and congratulations to Kyle for recognizing this, is self-serving in that, in that, in that uh, statement. And there was something else too, right? Outspoken is definitely that, right? So we got to give him credit for understanding his outspoken that it's self-serving. Now, I don't care what, what happens to him. I don't wish him any ill will. I don't. I think the way he's treated people, I think the way the people around him have treated people, I think the, the, the dose of, I want back in the game. Okay, fine. Uh, but the dose of I want back in the game and I'm only going to be a GM special assistant or assistant GM is delusional. It's just delusional. There are people who um, have done far greater things when it comes to building the flow of organizations or the flow of how things are supposed to work or building champions than guys who revolutionized throwing, which he did, right? Assisted with pitch data, which he did. Okay, under give us a, a initial measurement of how to understand swing data, all things he did, like good for you. But understand, know your know your role, right? Know your role and stay in your lane. That does not qualify you to be GM. It qualifies you to be an analyst, and that's what you are. You're a data analyst, and I would I would focus more on analyzing how to keep these guys healthy rather than blowing out UCLs, MCLs, ACLs, TCLs, GCLs, YCLs, every CL they got in their arm. Figure something out like that, and then we can talk about you being some kind of back in an organization. Not that I have a vote. No, no. I will say this, having covered sports for a long, long time, typically people who are in line for those types of positions, assistant GM, special assistant to the GM, they don't go out publicly tweeting and saying, I won't take anything less than that. So definitely self-serving seems to be the, it just seems, it just seems really odd. And, and, and if you look, which I know you maybe have, I don't know. It says, if you guys have problems with the Reds, his former employers, feel free to tweet it out. Don't imply that I have an issue with the org. I don't. That seems awfully passive aggressive to me. Yep. <laughs> he just, that's it. Like, first of all, I don't, I don't see his stuff because he blocked me a long time ago out of fear. I don't, I don't have any interest in engaging with the guy. And if I did, uh, was able to see it, I'd have his ass on mute anyway. Like, I, I don't have the ability. I don't want to see it. I don't think him and his crew are anything I'd ever want to be a part of. I, I can appreciate something, like I said, the very basic value they brought to, to the game and, and changes. Because, you know, when you have that type of scientific research, there's some stuff that you're going to be able to do to help things. But when it goes beyond that and, and, you, and you step on everybody possible you can and and you run everybody into the ground, just like that. Like the Cincinnati Reds, the best thing, they, they've done a couple of things really, really good in the last few years. They really have. One of them was hiring Derek Johnson, okay? And he was their director of pitching, right? And I'm not talking about the guys above that. They're, I mean, that's they, they have a direction, and that's entirely up to them to go with that direction. Another one was hiring Joe Katuska as their scouting director, okay? He's going to do an excellent job. He's a good scout. He's been part of the organization. He bleeds red. He's a good guy, and he understands people. And that's two things they've done well. And the third thing was getting rid of Kyle Bowden, okay? Because adding him in the first place was a colossal mistake because of the mentality of nothing else, right? There are always are people in this game where the mentality and the 
the approach is not necessarily worth the ability. And I'm going to speak here from a little bit of experience. And I'm going to say that I am somebody who in a certain role in an organization without a certain amount of time built up or resume, which I'm very comfortable with my track record and resume, um, can be a very tough fit for some places. That's just the reality of it, right? I mean, the way I go about things, my views on it, the way we tie things together on the surface, and we, you know this firsthand because we have had this conversation every year, like on the surface, the, the, the I don't want to say ability, let's say the uh, track record. Let's say that because I don't. You don't talk about your own ability in this game. It's irrelevant because everybody. You're only as good as you, as as you are right this moment. Tomorrow isn't promised, and yesterday is over. So it's right about right now. So the track record would yield would tend to yield some things that would come out there, and they have yielded that right. But also in firsthand experience, you have to have enough humility to understand that going certain places in this game aren't going to work because they have certain philosophies, and sometimes that doesn't fit you. They have certain ways they want their people to behave. And anybody who wants me to work for them that requires me to not have an opinion, right? Or to not have, uh, or to be in a role where there is zero impact. And I'm not talking about final decision because that is what the GM and the department head should always have final decisions. And if you're not in one of those roles, doesn't matter, okay? But it's fair to say that with my outspokenness and the way I carry myself, that some organizations wouldn't be a fit, just wouldn't, okay? And I think that to act like I should be a GM and that I've taken away everybody else's opportunity who've worked through that, whether I deserve or could do the job or not, to put that out shows an immense lack of or immense uh, volume of disrespect and immense lack of feel for anybody else around the game and an overinflated self-worth that has pretty much governed driveline anybody around them from the history of time. Now, that is entirely how I feel. I'm not putting anybody else's name to it. I can say that that tweet was resoundingly laughed. And you ought to be embarrassed that you go ahead and ask people to indict the Reds publicly because they don't like you. How's that? Yeah, it started out with if your mission statement, the single biggest problem any organization can have is a misalignment between their mission statement and their actions. If your mission statement has high aspirations like dominating your industry, but your actions are run of the mill mediocre, you're in for a bad time. Greatness is not a goal or a set of values. Greatness is in the doing. If an org professes to want to be a draft developed group and build minor league dominance, but for years is in the lower half of metrics that predict run production prevention, massive changes are required. If you guys have problems with the Reds, feel free to tweet it out. Don't imply that I have an issue with the organization. I don't. I get that they're two and 11 and that's frustrating, but if anyone thought this team was going to be competitive this year, that's on them. And I'd say that about anyone from the fans to the front office, it was always going to be a rebuilding year and a tough one at that. Bye Kyle. Bye Kyle. Bye. It's not your organization anymore. Nobody cares. I mean, you know, look, look at my departure from Seattle. Okay. When, when the GM turned over and, and Tom Mack and I, um, with our scouting director disconnected and it was time to go. You know, Mac and I recently saw each other. It was good to connect. Saw each other a couple times. He walked up to me in Florida at a, um, at a game and it was nice to see him and reconnect. And, and the way you handle things, it's okay to talk about uh, what you've accomplished and it's okay to go ahead and, and promote yourself a little bit. Not, not in a way that um, exalts you personally over everybody else, but just talks about your track record, right? I mean, that's just part of it. It's part of doing like our scouting reports and you know, it was a public record, right? That's okay. But Mac, we live and died with who he took and I'm not gonna turn around and 
MF him for making the decisions that he made, if that makes sense to you. I'm not going to do that. And so, I mean, I've disagreed with them. It's pretty clear because there's other guys that I like that we should have taken, but that's not something that, you know, in the middle, you wear the guy out for because he didn't do it. You just move on and you talk about how you like the guy and the organization went different direction. For Kyle Bodie to do what he's doing shows an, an immense, I use immense several, several times, let's say a gigantic lack of professionalism, which is pretty much his hallmark anyway. So let's, you know, I think we've given him, in my opinion, uh, more time than he's worth. I think the attitude is something that is, is, is a problem in the game. I think it, the, the general disrespect because of the following they have. Um, has let it has has yielded itself to other places such as amateur baseball and travel baseball and even minor league baseball. This this whole uh, you know stealing the rocks catchphrase jabroni. Somebody did that you know out there and and talking about um, you know let's do this and drink Red Bulls and pump up. And, ah, I mean who I mean who you're just teaching these guys to not respect people and you're teaching these guys that it's okay because you have a platform to do it. And we have a human problem there that goes far beyond just baseball. And while I know this is a slippery slope and I'm not going to blame them for the world's issues, what I am going to say is when it comes to the game, they don't have a place in it. Not for me. And if you're watching what people are doing, they're slowly weeding themselves out or getting rid of the driveline crew, starting with the head of the, and I don't mean this in any other term, this is an expression, starting with the head of the snake. Head of the Snake's been let go. Head of the Snake says you got to be a GM. Not happening. If anybody hires you as a GM, well, I, can, I look forward to seeing how bad that organization does. You're not qualified to do it. There's a lot of people out there that have spent a lot of time in this game, longer than two years, and building a laboratory after winning some blackjack hands. And I just think you need to go continue to do what you do best and trying to find a way to contribute to the game. Because you know what? There are some things, as much as I cannot stand the things you stand for, there are a lot of things out there, some things out there that you have and your group has done well to contribute to the game. Focus on that. Let's go from there. I don't know where we go from here, though, because there's a couple of things that I saw on Twitter. One being this, for those Astros fans out there, people, and I can't remember the account, and I don't have it in front of me, but a debate now, James Click versus Jeff Luno, and which one... Which one did it better, being a GM? It's not that clear cut for me right now. I think there's, I think there's really different circumstances. I don't think you can compare the two at this point because James Click doesn't have the track record, or when I say track record, I mean the number of years in the same position, and I think the circumstances are a little bit different. Is it, in your mind, a, a clear cut thing at this point? I don't, th I mean, I think it's apples and oranges. I mean, I think yeah. first of all, so first of all, you know, click is in here, I believe in Houston on a three-year contract. I think that's what it was. Right. And if that's the case, this is year three, which might be why some of this stuff is coming up. Okay. I think the account was Astros future. I okay. think that's what it was by memory. Okay. I don't follow Astros future. Uh, I think they, I think some of these Astros accounts have a very um, homerific or sideways view of the system and, and the organization as a whole. Um, and, and I don't deal with that. I like to deal with people who are honest and objective and, and, and aren't, you know, think with their head when it comes to this stuff rather than their emotions. But that was the debate. And I don't think that James Click has, has any, um, and Jeff Luno have any business in the same conversation when it comes to comparison for, for four or five different reasons. And maybe more, but I'll, I'll keep it to four or five. The first one is when Jeff Luno and company came in here, 
They inherited a scouting staff and a scouting department that is excellent, was excellent. And it's proven itself over time now through this entire 10-year window. Remember, Luno got here in fall of 2011. Does that sound right? Fall of 2011 is 2022. So for 11 years, so he, they were able to benefit and still going now, although this is James Click's team as, as it stands today, there's still players here that Luno helped acquire or bring in through trades or helped um, as a GM saw them get to the big leagues, right? When it comes down to that 11-year or 12-year run, 11-year um, run, I guess, you were looking at the work of Bobby Heck, and we've talked about this a lot, and, and his staff and the players that were left behind, the players that were traded to acquire other players in were assets that were left behind by that scouting staff. Players that helped win the World Series from Springer to Correa wasn't drafted yet at the time. Um, you know, they talked about Luno stuff and colors. All these guys, Keichel, Fulton Edwards, who was in Atlanta for a bit. Uh, I mean, even Jason Castro, who's back with this club. I mean, you just keep you keep going and going and going. Um, and the domestic side was left by Bobby Heck and his crew. When you look at the international side, it was Ozzo Campo and his group, right? And, and the people around him. Um, none of those people were here with James Click. None of them. And so James Click is starting over with a staff. Um, and I guess Eva Rosenbaum, right? She deserves some credit too from when she was here. They did some things as well. But none of those people are here. None of the, the, none of the same type of, and I say this gently, with no disrespect to the guys that are in staff that's here now, the track record isn't there for this crew to compare to what Jeff Luno inherited and had the ability to maximize. What they should be doing is talking about what James Click inherited. Let's look at the system. And this is where it's objective. Same bloggers devalued all the guys that were left by Bobby Heck because the big league team wasn't winning. So Bobby Heck and Ed Way, they devalued all that because the big league club wasn't winning. So turn around decade later, now they're overvaluing the players in the system because the big league club is winning. And so that's how that works. For those of you at home, you build the foundation at the bottom. That's called the draft and the international signing pool. It starts funneling to the top. By the time it gets to the top, you have the big league club. It takes time to develop. And in this case, it took three front offices, not just Bobby Eck and Ed Wade, but the one before it. And of course, Luno's front office after that. James Click gets here and immediately is here only because of a scandal, right? It's only because he's hired. The scandal and Luno's fired. With that, he loses draft picks in 2020. He has a staff. He has no idea what to do with because no one is never right to walk in someplace and fire everybody. Everybody's got to get a chance to prove themselves and see if they fit. He's got a draft in that where he lost draft picks. It's limited to five rounds. He's got a pandemic to navigate through. He's got a sign stealing scandal. He's got a manager to hire, which does an excellent job. All of this is in 2020. He then goes into 2021, gets his first full year. It's his first full year, 2021. Um, and they get back to the World Series. That was last year, right? Braves get back to the World Series, right? And where James is let, has left himself open for criticism is the hires that were made between the end of last season and now. I think, and oh, and by the way, in 2021, he didn't have draft picks either, if not in the first couple of rounds, right? And I also think with James, it's I think this is really coming to a head because of the recent performances of Jake Odorizzi and Pedro Baez. Yeah, but when you're constantly, and this is just the, it's hard because I actually like the guy. You know, I like the guy. And it, it's not a, it, it was not a fit. I don't mind saying this at all openly because I think people need to hear it. There's, there was on the surface for me, there'd be interest with James Click on the surface. When you start looking deeper, 
there isn't any interest and there isn't any interest uh, financially. There's no interest in lifestyle. It's just not, I mean, it's just, it's not a fit there on the, but from a people standpoint, he's a, he's a good guy. He's a smart guy, right? There's nothing wrong with what he does. And he has every right to go ahead and develop his staff the way he wants to. But when you're always shooting for high floor or shooting for safety, you lose impact. Right. And if there's no impact and there's no ability to go out and get guys that can be aircraft carriers and this system and this big league team is fast losing or never had aircraft carriers in it. And now you're looking at a situation where you have to rely on guys like Odorizzi and Baez and people who you hope, wish and hope to produce because your analytics said they might. That's the problem with not having the balance on the other side where I have a little frustration with James Click is that, frankly, he knows better. He's from Tampa Bay. Knows better. Those guys aren't doing it that way. They have the balance of scouting and big tools and athleticism and instincts. And they, then they, they quantify it with some safety on the other side, both in the draft and in the big league club. And so if there's an, a bone to pick with James Click on anything, it's the assembling of the guys he's assembled as a collective. It's not any one person. It's, it's, it's what are the real roles here? Are we relying too much on Pete Patilla um, to handle all of it and putting people around him that may just be, I don't know, paper pushers? Right? Are we relying on the analysts instead of going to get uh, scouts? Are we using our scouting director properly? How are we doing? Again, all his decisions, but where he's left himself open for um, criticism is there. That said, it is way too early, and frankly, it's too early to even consider firing the guy. I mean, three years went by like that, and he's got two years with no draft picks. He's got a pandemic in one of them, and the other one went back to the World Series. And let's cut the guy some slack here. That, for me, he's earned at least a two or three year extension to see what he can do. And, and that's, that's regardless of anything else. He's earned a two or three year extension. I think he's going to fast find out that he needs to put some better baseball people around him. Nothing. Again, this isn't a one person indictment, right? This is a collective. He's going to fast find out is he needs to put some better baseball people around him. You've got people like Reggie, Mr. October Jackson here. You've got people like Craig Biggio. You've got Jeff Bagwell, you've got Jose Cruz, you've got Enos Cabell. Do we need to keep going? These are all baseball people, and you know they've got the owner's ear. They've all got the owner's ears. Well, they should. James, you need to balance yourself out with baseball people who can see other things, not just have the analysts in your ear in the office because you guys can roll together. That's the only advice I would give him. But I think from a fan standpoint, let's be a little bit patient. They just were in the World Series last year. And, and I think that we're being really remiss on blaming Bobby Heck, Ed Wade, and that crew for not winning, giving all of the credit for the players in the system and the run in the last decade to Jeff Luno and company, and then blaming James Click for what seems like the demise of the organization. He's just now getting a chance to see his first full draft, his 22. He's getting a chance to really have his stamp on the organization now. We need to go ahead and give him a little bit of a break to see if that's going to work now. Two, three years from now, they're not any better. I get it. But we just, we're just now getting to his first opportunity to really impact the organization. And they just went to a World Series last year. Let's take a deep breath. Well, also, general managers don't have an open checkbook. The payroll that James Click is working with is a lot different than the one that Jeff Luno was working with, the sure. one that Jeff Luno was building, building up and using. Second, you know, this idea that Jeff Luno is incredible Again, he did a lot of good things. Some might even call them revolutionary. But you got to remember, this is a guy who whiffed on two first overall draft picks. Not many gentlemen. Huh? Oh, yeah, just one overall. Number one yeah. overall. Yeah, sorry. 
Not many GMs get a chance to whiff on two number one overall draft picks. Well, and he gave away a lot of good talent for nothing. Now, the acquisition of Marwin Gonzalez was, I don't want to say brilliant, but very, very, very good. The trades for Justin Verlander, Garrett Cole, outstanding. But mm-hmm. this idea that this guy was incredible, I think he would even admit that he made some, some there are some moves that he made that he would have not done if he could do, do a do-over. But this I idea think- that he was incredible Yes, he built this thing and, and he got a lot of publicity for it. And I think that that I think that is really what people think about is is he has he was painted with this brush uh, of of this this beautiful, beautiful painting. But sometimes things look beautiful from far away. But when you look up close, they're not as beautiful as they appear. That's a verifiable fact, that last statement in so many levels. But just moving back to what you, you said, what again, he didn't what he did well was they made trades and the and acquisitions were great on the free agent wire. Um, with what with what they were able to do with their numbers and how they were able to value people in already in professional baseball. They did a great job. The draft picks are very suspicious. It's just the reality of it. Um, you've got uh, the ones that I give them credit for are Bregman and Tucker. Um, those are clearly theirs. You know, I mean, there's some other pieces, but as far as championship players, Tucker's coming into his own. I still think he's an average everyday major league guy. Um, and, and Bregman's an all-star, right? Bregman's, Bregman's a superstar. And he's fast growing on me as one of my favorite players just because of how he's carrying himself. And, and, and an example of something I will give these guys credit for is that they were able to see something in Bregman in a very tough time, um, which you had to really watch in the seat. I saw Alex the other night um, take care, taking care of Pena on every ground ball. And I mean an infield, right? And that's something that as a veteran, knowing your role and understand, he's taking care of Jeremy Pena. He's watching his All right, footwork. explain that. What does that mean, taking okay, care so of Okay, so he's watching his footwork. He's watching how he's going about it. He's watching his angles. You know, we got to remember that the other night was Pena's first time as far as a game, right, on, in Minute Maid Park. And Bregman is watching how he's taking care of himself and how he's approaching it. And I've seen Altuve do the same thing to guys. And that's a veteran responsibility, right? Some veterans will shepherd the younger kids to make sure that they're good. And that is something I saw him doing. He'll never say it. He'll never take credit for it. But you know me, I watch it from a different lens. I get get back. I watch BP. I watch swings. I watch approaches. I watch how guys are approaching things in in, in infield. It's just, it's part of the DNA. And um, that's what he was doing. Furthermore, he was acknowledging, even so slightly, the people around that he knows that in his mind are important in his community. And while, while those people that are important in his community didn't disturb his work because they understand his process, Alex has made this his club and he's trying to make people behind him. That is a credit to Mike Elias and Jeff Luno and that regime that drafted him. He's a franchise-changing player. You get away from that, you got problems. Okay, we just do. You look over in Arizona, you know, Beer's been off to a good start, at least he was last time I looked. Uh, Seth Beer, you look over in uh, Corbin Martin, and that's not been great. You don't know if he's going to come back from Tommy John. Bukowskis is on the shelf. Um, you know, again, you know, we don't know what that's going to be. That's going to be relief only. All these guys are high picks by the Mike Elias regime, but we're not talking about it. And in that same thread or a different, or maybe as a thread that Chandler Rome put out, talking about all these guys from the big leagues, I sarcastically said, 
you know, made a comment. But in that same thread that he he listed, you have people saying, yeah, that Diamondbacks sure think it was a great draft. I'm not going to speak for them, but I'm pretty comfortable saying that they're not real happy with the return overall. Okay. So when it comes to, when it comes to what those guys did in the draft, it was terrible. When it comes to what they did in the free agent acquisition line, it was great, but it's easy to do that when you've got a cupboard full of stuff left for you. You had aircraft carriers that lasted you a decade, dude. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. And so you, and some of them are still here. So when you look back at, we look forward into James click, what is James click left with? He's not left with that stuff. He's left with how the, how the regime ahead of him drafted. He has a chance. He deserves a chance to put a stamp on the own on his drafts and on his on the big league club and, and on player development and how he wants to do things. If now, within that time frame, he does what it looks like he might be doing, which is a lack of balance and a lack of uh, diversity. You know, and I'm just, I'll say that directly: a lack of diversity. We saw that. I saw that by looking at the organization and I was at open night and I'm telling you directly, that was a lack of diversity. That was, that was ridiculous. And I'm actually disappointed in James for that, but I don't think he hired that way. I think he hired in a way that he thought made sense, not because of diversity or lack of, um, they need to go get different thought. They need to do some different things. And if there's any criticism at all, it is questioning that, but that is it. He has inherited a very empty cupboard. He's inherited a very good big league club. And he's got to find a way to satisfy a city who is ready to win right now, tomorrow, and the day after because they're used to it now. And with a payroll that is much higher than what Houston has been accustomed to having. And when I say Houston, I mean the Astros. That's right. It's also interesting you mentioned that tweet from Chandler Rome talking about the 2017 draft class because J.J. Matajevic had had been recalled. He's the 11th big leaguer in that class. And certainly we all, how do I say this? I wouldn't say we all, but a number of baseball people looked at that and said, whoa, okay, yeah, 11th big leaguer. But when you look at the overall impact, which is what you typically focus on, It's not great. Now, Chandler later said this, the sheer number of major leaguers from one draft class is notable. Never said they are, were, will be superstars or anything, but for a franchise that drafted terribly in the late 2000s, had another failed one in 2013, can't be considered anything but good. Wait a minute. How did they draft terribly from 2008, 2012? I think we've seen the benefits of that. No, I think he said the late 2000s, meaning I think he means 2000. I think he means 2000 to 2009. So 2008 was Jason Castro's first, uh, the first draft. That was Bobby's first pick. Um, So anything from 2008 to 12 for Chandler Rome. And I, and I know we see Chandler at the ballpark, but um, I say this gently. If you are, you are criticizing 2000, 2012, you need a reality check. I don't don't think that's what he was doing. Okay, good. Because I think, I think he just means the two, the, well, in the late 2000s, I think he means the Maxwell Saps, the Giovanni Myers, those kinds. Yeah, Bobby that's... missed on Meyer. That was his pick in 09. Um, 2010 but... wasn't bad. Fulton Evich. Pretty good player. The Shields, Jr. Turned out fine. 11, Springer. 12, Correa. Yeah. And then you start 13, Appel. 14, Brady Aiken. Yeah, when, when Elias took over. But, I mean, there's, you know, Elias and Luna really took over. But there's, there's, um, there's a lot more depth to those drafts. There's Vince Velasquez. There's... There's, um, 
you know, there's Keiko in there somewhere. You know, I mean, there's all kinds of drafts from 2008, 2012. If you want to talk about up to 2008 and you can point out Meyer, that's Bobby's one miss early in the draft. And I think he's a police officer in Southern California now, I think, um, you know, but other than that pick, that window of eight to 12, if anybody criticizes that at all, with an objective perspective, they need a reality check. If you're looking at it subjectively and all you want to do is say, you know, we, um, uh, yeah, and, and look, nothing against Chandler, but the same guy that in World Series said, you know, batting practice wasn't necessary. Meanwhile, I'm sitting there saying it is, and Dusty Baker says it is, you know, and I'm not, it's just, it's a matter of perspective. Now, you want to criticize the drafts up, to, up through 07? Sure. You want to criticize the drafts from 13 and, 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 and sandwich makers and, and, and any number of different things we want to talk about? Fine. But, you know, if we're going to be, re, re, be real, Let's really talk about the amount of big leaguers produced in that window. Sometimes guys go to the big leagues because there's, there's a need for them to go to the big leagues and there's nobody else ahead of them. That's, we had a guy like that. And he's a big leaguer and ain't taking anything away from him. The guy in Seattle named Brandon Vance. And we was, the question was, do we bring Zanino up who wasn't ready at the time at all? Or do we go get this kid out of AAA who isn't going to be a big leaguer for longer than a couple of days or we had a need? Guess what we did? We went and brought up Brandon Vance. And it's nothing against Brandon because, man, he got farther than everybody else. You know, he's one of the, one of the 20,000. Good for him. But who? Brandon Vance. But he's one of the 20,000. And my point is sometimes there's nobody else that's ready to go. And so other people get a chance to go up. Okay. So, yes, is it notable? Yeah, it's notable. Is it worth – is it notable more than a footnote? No. And as far as the impact and what those guys can do, I really struggle with saying those things because I know how hard it is to play. And how hard it is to do that stuff at that level. And the fact that they're a big leaguer at all is a testament to them being a 1% of the 1%er. But when it comes to winning championships, there's a method to doing that. And that class isn't going to get it done. Brandon Bantz. If I'm looking at this correctly, he is one of those rare major leaguers to do what, Jeremy? You know, I don't remember because he went to the big leagues, but I think he was up and down the same day. Is that right? One at bat? One game. One game. Yeah. I mean, it was quick. We brought him up because we had a need and it was not, we're not going to burn Zanino. We're going to bring Van, uh, Vance up. June 8th, 2013. There you go. All right. Um, I want to get into some draft stuff, but I think we should do that next week. Right. Hey, what'd you think of the junior college baseball issue between Weatherford and North central Texas college, the pitcher from Weatherford, What a tackle. Now, granted, unsuspecting runner. We've since learned that, and I obtained the umpire's report, that the batter, Phillips, dropped an FU around the base paths, and that's what triggered it. Now, earlier in the game, second inning, after Phillips had struck out, he had words with another pitcher from Weatherford College who struck him out. And... Well, we all know what the result is. North Central Texas College on Friday morning sending me an email saying they will appeal the two-game suspension for both Phillips and numerous other team members. The Weatherford College pitcher, Owen Woodward, four-game suspension. He's reportedly no longer on that team. He is a signee to the University of Houston. The university telling me yesterday that, yes, he indeed signed a letter of intent, they are aware of the situation, but we'll have no comment at this time. I think we are in a situation of 
devolving ethics in the game. And I think we're doing a lot of things to promote that. Um, I think that, uh, you know, and look, there's some people who, who really kind of get excited and caught up in the moment who are really good people. Um, it, when I say that, when I say that comment and, and don't see that what their actions are as disrespectful, but I can tell you there are Twitter accounts out there, one of which we've talked about earlier today, just by being passive aggressive towards a major league organization, um, who promote disrespect and promote the things in the game that we're seeing. And it's not a surprise that with what's being promoted, this stuff is happening. It is never acceptable to hit a home run or to strike somebody out and scream at the hitter, F you, or the pitcher, F you, or anybody else, unless there's a situation where it's an extreme, extreme rivalry. There's bad blood going back and forth and somebody's mouthing off at you. And even then it's not acceptable. The umpires have a better job. You do a better job of controlling the situation, controlling the flow, and that doesn't happen. However, in the moment, you got to understand what this is wrong, right? How is this happening? And they deserve a little bit of grace on that as well. Um, for North Central to, to appeal the suspension, I actually understand why they'll do that. I think it's a poor look on their part, but I think I, under, I understand it. If I'm a coach and I got a hitter, I don't care who he is, and while he's rounding the bases, he's screaming at the pitcher, F you, he's sitting until I decide different. It's not something that's going to be like I have to worry about the league suspending or the conference suspending. And he's he may not see the field for a couple of months. I mean, that's you don't treat people that way. And it says a lot about your, your program to be able to do it. As far as the pitcher, and I say this loosely, he's playing the wrong sport because that was clean. That was a clean tackle. And the Houston Texans ought to be looking at this guy because you know what? That's what they need. It just has no place on the baseball field. It has no place on if somebody's going to do that. You don't drop your glove and take them out. But again, we're promoting things that allow that behavior to eventually show up. Um, it's unfortunate. I, I don't think that uh, I think that the kid deserves to lose the rest of his season. I don't think it's a life sentence. I really don't. If I'm University of Houston, I believe in his ability. I'll openly say I'm bringing him to campus. I may be changing how I do things. It's be a much shorter leash for behavior. But I'm probably I'm bringing him to campus. And I'm trying to help him. If I believe in the talent, I think it's there. I'm going to try to mentor him. I'm going to find out what's going on, why he thought that was all right. Maybe there's anger management issues. Um, but I don't, I don't think it's a life sentence. I don't. I do think it's a, it's a season ender, frankly. And I do see, I honestly, I think for the other kid, it's a season ender as well for me. He just, we wouldn't be playing and we'd have a conversation. And we're talking about anger management counseling. And we're talking about all kinds of things as to why that would get there. And then I hate to say this phrase, but as a baseball community, we have to do better. We can no longer turn a blind eye to behavior issues because we think they're sexy and fun and they sell tickets or Twitter follows or Red Bulls or bangs or woo, whatever we're doing. Like you can't do any of that stuff. You know, we have a, we have a responsibility to learn how to treat people differently. Um, and with some kind of respect and, and, you know, I give the kids some credit I mean, hit the ball, hit the ball, at the ballpark, he didn't stand at the plate. He just started running. So we don't know what was really going on from the point of run to the point he said F you. We don't know that, but he wasn't like he bat flipped and pimped and, you know, all this stuff. He wasn't like, wasn't doing any of this. He was just like, I'm hitting it. I'm gone. I'm running. And, and there wasn't any other celebration. So somewhere between contact to, um, you know, a 10 yard lost tackle, which is about really about what that was. It was a lot. I was, you know, somewhere between the, you know, a head hunting flag on the quarterback. We have a problem that, 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 that generated that none of us really know the, the basis of. So he needs to both guys for me, their seasons are over. I'm not suspending. I will say this. I'm not suspending any coach. 
And I'm not suspending any player that went to go have their teammate or their, or their players back. I'm not doing that because the worst thing you can do in that situation is stay at your position or stay in the dugout and let those two go at it. That's the worst thing you can do. Okay. Everybody needs to peel each other off. Umpires need to get it. And the people that put those rules in place, they don't, they've never had been on that situation. That's not a safety rule. That is a watch what happens when you get back to the dugout and clubhouse because you didn't have my back problem. You think that's bad going on the field to defuse something? Try not leaving your position. Try not leaving the dugout. Try being a coach and, and have a parent come to you and say, why'd you let my son get, get into a fight and get beat? You don't do that. You have to converge and you have to break that up. Um, but I think it's a season ender. I think both kids need some extensive counseling. I think both programs need um, to evaluate the people they have as how it got to that point and the culture they're building. And, and I think you go from there with it. I don't think there's anything else to say besides that. It is not a good look. I have the umpire report in front of me. And just to, you mentioned about control over the game, the yeah. home plate umpire in that uh, second inning didn't hear what was said between the first pitcher and Phillips because of the crowd and strong winds, but walked over to the NCTC dugout, told them to knock it off, then walked over to the pitcher and told him to knock it off. There you have it. And then also the base umpire, as Phillips is rounding the base, according to the umpire's report, said, if you want to stay in this game, shut your mouth. Phillips did not say another word after that. As Phillips rounded third, Woodward, the pitcher, violently tackled Phillips. North Central players cleared the bench. North Central bullpen came running to the field. And five Weatherford players left their positions. Additional Weatherford players ran over but did not actively participate in the fight. And then it just kind of goes into they wanted to look at video and see um, a replay, if you will, of what happened. But, yeah, not a, a terrible look. And it's, it's just a shame because, again, these are young men. They should know better. And it's just you just hope that it doesn't follow or – become a, a major roadblock in their lives moving forward because they are young men. All right. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't think it's a life sentence. I think anybody who makes this a life sentence is being remiss, but I think under underestimating the, the impact, the visibility, the devolving of the of the game that we've seen based on people promoting this type of disrespect. And again, certainly not tackles, but same people that are promote running your mouth don't promote or condemn dealing with it another way. Right. So, you know, if you've got in, in our game and in all sports, if you run your mouth unnecessarily, there is a physical component to police it. No matter if it's football, basketball, it doesn't matter. OK, but the same people that say we want to go ahead and insult everything about you and your mother and your family and talk how terrible you are and rag you and even racially say anything you know, that's happened. Say anything that we want. You have no court, no recourse to retaliate. Not true. So. I think we need to reassess how we're approaching this game as a whole. And with that, that wraps up another Extra, brace, extra Bases with Bristol and Booth. Uh, Jeremy, next week? Next week. Next week. Probably should be before the draft, NFL I draft. I agree. All righty. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time.